Would you like to get well? It sounds like a ridiculous question. You know, like, would you like to get well? Well, I'm, you know, I'm in the ER with a busted thumb. It's split open to the bone. And, uh, you know, uh, stupid me, I decided instead of putting my thumb on top of the tapping block, instead I put it in the pathway of a four-pound four dead blow hammer. And then instead of bleeding all over my sister's brand new vinyl plank flooring, I decided to pass out and hit my head on the so much softer tile floor of her laundry room. And so, you know, as, as much as I, I love spending an arm and a leg at the emergency room for, you know, stitches and x-rays and a EKG and, and so much more, like, you know, would, would I like to get well? Uh, yes, preferably and to make it snappy. Would you like to get well? Well, I, I find myself at a, you know, my kid's soccer practice. And uh, whew, man, I thought I was raising up the next Ronaldo or Messi, but here he is uh, throwing cones on top of the goal and stacking them. And uh, oh, he's digging in the dirt instead of following the coach's directions. Uh, but you know, his ears seem to work perfectly fine whenever the coach says water break. He, he rushes over there and guzzles down his water. And oh, now he's, uh, he's laying down on all the balls and sifting through the grass looking for roly polies. Uh, and uh, apparently he just uh, dropped a deuce in his pull-ups. Good thing I'm paying for this, right? Like, would you like to get well? Uh, yeah. And I, I would like to get well really quick, preferably before I lose it in front of all these three-year-olds and their parents and grandparents. Would you like to get well? Well, um, she says, my husband, you know, you know, he's working all these late hours and he comes home and he's just so stressed and it's just like, he's irritated at every little thing. Just the smallest thing will just set him off and the outbursts are becoming so much more habitual. It's like walking around on eggshells around him. And I, I just don't really know what to do. I know he loves me so much, but oh, man, sometimes he can just be a real fill in the blank. <laughs> and they asked me like, would you like to get well? Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, yes, I would, but you know, like, I, I, I just don't know. Would you like to get well? Um, so I'm like uh, lactose intolerant, you know, well, I, I'm not, but like the hypothetical person in this scenario is lactose intolerant. So I'm like lactose intolerant, you know, but OMG, like, have you tried creme brulee or, or how about gelato out of this world? I mean, and it even looks cute too. It comes in a little cup, little cute shovel. Like what, what, what is that? Like portion control? I don't know, but man, don't even get me started about cheese. Like all the different flavors from Brie and blue and Gouda and smoked Gouda and Cheddar Jack and Swiss and mozzarella. The list goes on and on, right? And I've even heard it's as, as addicting as cocaine. And my friends will ask me, like, well, like, that, that's really bad for your digestive system, you know? You, you, you can't handle that. Like, wouldn't you like to get well? Well, yes, but, I mean, I don't know. 
So the question is like, what in the world do a, a busted thumb, a, a soccer star, uh, you know, a, a lousy marriage and a, a milk allergy have in common? Well, nothing really, except for their, their desire to get well. But their responses to the question, do you want to get well? They're, uh, they're actually different from one another. They're either yes and or yes but. And it seems like the same thing, but there's actually just the switch between the words and and but means a world of a difference. I mean, they're light years apart. Would you like to get well? Yes, I would like to get well. And so, dot, 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 versus, would you like to get well? Yes, I would like to get well, but, dot, dot, dot. I had a, a friend who fell in love with the tragedy of their own story. It was something, you know, they couldn't shake. It was a a constant reminder right there in the forefront of their mind that they kept replaying over and over and over and over again, right there. Like reality for them was looking through eyeglasses scratched over with you know, the trauma and abuse and neglect and dysfunctionality. Like they couldn't shake it. And you know, we'd ask the question like, well, would you like to get well? Yes, but. Yes, but, you know, the doctors or the counseling or the medication or the this or the that or, or the other, someone or something was always to blame. And over the years, I kind of got the sense that they actually fell in love with the tragedy of their own story. Would you like to get well? Yes, but that actually just means, means no. Would you like to get well? It seems like a ridiculous question, especially coming from, from Jesus. But I think in the Christian life, it's a question we're confronted with each day. It's a question that we must answer each day. And today, as we continue our sermon series, Questions of Jesus, we find ourselves beside a pool of water, surrounded by the riffraff of society, the the, the smell of their rotting near the, the north end of the temple compound, it produces a stench, a foul stench for the worshipers in the nearby temple when the breeze shifts. The riffraff of society, they attach like barnacles onto the pillars and stones beneath the porticos. Their mats, they sprawl out across the layers of grime gathered by their extended stays. Meanwhile, Jesus was up in Galilee some 80 miles away, healing a, a royal official's son. He actually does it by distance. He, he says to the royal official, yeah, go, your son will live. And boom, like the man goes and his son lives. And then in John 5, it begins like this. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. So he treks southward some 80 miles. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. The, the probable site has actually been excavated and it reveals pools trapezoidal in shape. And I'm like, trapezoidal? Like what, I have to go back to geometry to figure out what that looks like. But you know, you're, the best 
thing I, I guess I could say is the shape of like a razor blade if you're in construction or cutting open a, a bunch of boxes at Trader Joe's or whatever. Or, or better yet, like a, like a Kit Kat bar, not lengthwise, but I guess on end where you can see it, like a Kit Kat bar shaped pool. And it's 165 feet wide at one end, 220 feet wide at the other, 315 feet long, divided by a central partition. So basically, like two Olympic-sized swimming pools shaped like a Kit Kat bar. And there are covered porches around the pool and across the partition, and they account for five VIP-exclusive cabanas. And here the people could stand or sit or walk, protected from the weather and the heat of the sun. And they did. Verse 3 says, Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed. So the riffraff of society lay on the porches. So, so not quite the VIP exclusive cabanas we had in mind. I remember doing ministry in downtown Los Angeles where the business owners pressure wash the sidewalks each morning, sailing spent cigarettes and needles like boats into the gutters. There's the musty aroma of urine mixed with malt liquor, wafting as the dodger blue tarps flap against pop-up tents in the early morning breeze. I hear sobbing and laughter. I hear mindless babbling and spit-flying shouting. I hear the, the zip of a lighter and the grinding wheels of a smart and final cart on asphalt. I see rashes and track marks. I see crusted lips and lice. I see addiction and poverty. I see potential and children of God. And I wonder how different it looks from the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. And now, as we move on to, to verse 4, you, you look in your Bibles and you're like, wait, there, there is no verse 4. It, it just goes from verse 3 to verse 5. And even my three-year-old sifting the, the grass at soccer practice, looking for roly-polies, will tell you that ain't, that ain't right. So what's up with that? Some... Some manuscripts, they, they actually add an expanded conclusion to verse 3b and all of verse 4, which reads like this. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. And here's the addition. Waiting for a certain movement of the water, for an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water. And the first person to step in after the water was stirred was healed of whatever disease they had. Cool, right? But problem is, verses 3b through 4 are not found in the earliest and best manuscripts of the New Testament. But I think it is helpful for us at least to know the urban legend of the place. Anywho, verse 5 says, one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. That's a long time. Two years shy of a generation. I mean, what can happen in 38 years? Uh, well, in, in less than 38 years, mom jeans went in and out and back in style again, apparently. 38 years ago, Reagan was completing his first term. 
total eclipse of the heart was blasting from boomboxes, and uncountable cans of aerosol hairspray were depleting the ozone. But your hair looked good, like mullet, perm, whatever you were rocking, I, I wasn't around, but man, 38 years. That's nearly four times the amount of time it took NASA to figure out how to put a, a man on the moon and actually do it. It's about twice as long as it took the Egyptians to build the, the Great Pyramid at, at Giza. 38 years. In 38 years, you could learn all the languages of the world, at least you know, 63 of the most common languages, hike the Great Wall of China twice, swim across the globe thrice, fly to Pluto and back, experience the entire Revolutionary War and waste your life at the DMV, all in a span of 38 years. Now, clearly the DMV would take the longest. But like, bro, like you've just been here sick for 38 years. Verse six says, when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I mean, like awkward question here. I mean, he's been here sick for 38 years, Jesus. With what? What, what has he been sick with? We, we don't really know, maybe a paralysis or some sort, but he's been here forever. And it even says in verse six that Jesus already knew he had been ill for a long time. And still he asks, would you like to get well? Uh, clearly. But, but catch his response in verse seven. I can't, sir. I can't, sir. I mean, that's a defeatist mentality. Where's the power of positive thinking? That's, that's no way to win friends and influence people with that attitude. Like when life gives you lemons, make, well, I mean, that's, that's a, a lot of lemonade, 38 year supply. Like, would you like to get well? The man's answer is definitely not a yes and. It's not a, a yes but. It's I can't. He had already tried for 38 years. He had tried clawing and scratching his way with his useless limbs to reach the pool. And sometimes he maybe almost made it, but no, no healing he can't. So once more he crawls back to the all too familiar place where he'd laid so long, I can't, sir. The man responds to Jesus' question as if the suggestion is an impossibility. Sure, 38 years is a long time. It's a long time, but I wonder, did he fall in love with the tragedy of his own story? Did the hope of healing or for wholeness and release from suffering, did it disintegrate with each new passing day? To where reality has been written over and it's like all his life is looking through eyeglasses scratched over with suffering and inability and, and nothing more. I wonder if the man really just wanted to say no to Jesus's question. Would you like to get well? No. No. But how could he? How could he say that he'd chosen not to live? But perhaps at times maybe the suffering has become so habitual that it's become almost like a part of you, fused like a suckerfish on a lemon shark, or better yet, leeching like a parasite. 
in your gut. It's become so normalized that you fear what normal might look like. Would you like to get well? How do we understand what normal would look like without it? Would you like to get well? It's actually a question, I think, that requires a serious examination. And his response, I can't, sir, I I think is actually the answer of all humanity. That all humanity, we are sin sick, stuck in patterns of destruction and turmoil and racism. We're paralyzed by animosity and apathy. We're immobile, unable unable to humanly produce solutions to solve our greatest struggles. We, like the man, it seems, have no one to help us. We, like the man, interpret Jesus' question through eyeglasses scratched over with suffering. It's like, it's all we can see. And the only realistic solutions, it seems, are are Kit Kat bar-shaped pools that turn into jacuzzis for a moment. But verse 6b, it says, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. There's no solution, no help. But Jesus' response is instantaneous. Jesus told him, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. No reference to any sort of urban legend about jacuzzi jets. Just a threefold command. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And you know, like some pastor somewhere probably gave like a great sermon without application. Like, brother, listen up. Sister, you hear me? Jesus says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Stand up from that situation. Pick up your mat, whatever it be, your sin, your struggle, your self-loathing, and walk in the newness of life in Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah, I I mean, that would be great and all. But I'm kind of more interested in where the story goes from here. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Verse 9a says, instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. I mean, like, what were you expecting? What were you expecting would happen when you come into contact, when you encounter the living God, the Son of God who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many? I mean, what did you expect would happen? Jesus says something like, like, sorry, bro, I know you've been here for 38 years, but I'm in a rush. Like, I got to go. You know, the next chapter has me, yo separating loaves of bread and fish and producing some magic trick, but it's actually real. You know, I got to go. No. No, this is what happens when you encounter the living God. The man was healed. But I must say, I think I'm more struck by what happens next. Like when someone is made whole and complete in Jesus, what do they do? It's like I once was blind, but now I see. Okay, great. Now what? Or, uh, I I once chilled at the VIP exclusive cabana at Bethesda and Jesus healed me. Okay, and then what? Or, I once accepted Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Okay, great. And then what? But then secondly, how does the community respond when someone is made whole and complete in Jesus? Verse 9 says, instantly the man was healed. 
he rolled up his sleeping bag and be sleeping mat and began walking. And how lovely that would be if that were the end of the story. Happily ever after, amen, hallelujah, goodbye. But the story doesn't end right there. And neither do our stories, neither does even the verse. Verse 9b says, But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, a day set apart for God. No work, just dedication for God. So the Jewish leaders objected. I mean, the party poopers are present. Like, what a buzzkill. They're here, but these authorities in Jerusalem who are hostile to Jesus, they're a good picture for, you know, how the community responds to when someone is made whole and complete in Jesus. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry a sleeping mat. But he replied, Uh... The man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. Clearly, they're not stoked that a man who spent 38 years sick beside a pool could be healed. I mean, where's the rejoicing? Ah, wrong day. Should have waited till Sabbath was over. What? Like, we, we wouldn't want this day holy and set apart for God to be a day when God actually does something holy and set apart. Should have waited. But the dude's been here for 38 years. 38 years. 13,870 days, give or take. So in one sense, like, what's one more day to wait? But in another, like, why wait? Why wait any longer? In Mark chapter 2, verse 27 when some other religious leaders get their first century panties all in a bunch, Jesus, uh, Jesus responds. They're all, you know, huffy-puffy about Sabbath observance. But Jesus says, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And you know on a day that's holy and set apart like the Sabbath, what would be more fitting than to rejoice? For when what was lost is finally found, when what was broken is finally fixed, it's right to rejoice. Like that's the community's job. When someone is made whole and complete in Jesus, our job is to rejoice. Not to judge or complain or keep a, a racket going, placing bets on how long before they backslide. No, our job is to rejoice and to be involved in helping one another to grow. I mean, that's what Jesus does in verse 14. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Because sin has its consequences, and when you're in it, all your efforts are expended hiding and lying and trying to keep track of the, the spider web of lies you've spun, and it's taxing. It feels just like a sham, like hypocritical self-absorption. But now you are well, Jesus says, after having asked, would you like to get well? And I think the question is now, would you like to stay well? Would you like to stay well? 
free from the entangling web of lies, free from hiding, free from hypocritical self-absorption. I mean, this man, sick for 38 years beside the pool, his physical condition is a reflection of his spiritual condition. He goes from being physically lame, paralyzed, 38 years, stuck being sick, to being physically whole and healed. And he also goes from being spiritually lame, paralyzed, 38 years, stuck being sick, to spiritually whole and healed. Verse 15 says, Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing, or literally persecuting Jesus, for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, My father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. Whereas the man's physical condition reflects his spiritual condition, so it is with the religious leaders. The religious leaders are lame, paralyzed, stuck being spiritually sick. They're caught up in, in their traditions and legalism and rules, it seems, over and above relationship. But I don't think that we should be so quick to demonize these religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the spiritual leaders of the people. They deeply loved God. And they also remind me a lot of me. And like me, they can get off track, fixating on uh, actually what's peripheral and not of utmost importance. I think there's a lot more, a lot more healing that needs to happen in this story. Sure, a man might have fallen in love with the tragedy of his own story, spent 38 years suffering. But how many of us have fallen in love with the testimony of our own uprightness. So much so that we spend a lifetime lame, paralyzed, stuck being spiritually sick. But I think the question that Jesus asked the man beside the pool is the question he's asking us today. Whether you've been stuck, sick, having fallen in love with the tragedy of your own story. Because, I mean, let's be honest, it feels good to have the biggest scar and the saddest story sometimes. Or whether you've been stuck sick, having fallen in love with the testimony of your own uprightness, like I'm right, they're wrong, can't have it any other way, it's black, it's white, you know. It's all about the rules, rules, rules over relationship. Even if we say it's all about Jesus, it's so easy, it rolls off the tongue, but maybe it hasn't taken root in our hearts. Wherever you are, I think the question Jesus asked the sick man beside the pool is the same question he's asking us today. Would you like to get well? If so, we're going to rejoice because when what was lost is finally found, when what was broken is finally fixed, it's right to rejoice. It's nothing we can do on our own. No amount of clawing or scratching toward Kit Kat bar shaped pools. No amount of Study or discipline or religious wherewithal or know-how can do it. Our efforts by our own strength are fruitless. Our solutions are, are stifled by dead ends, yes, buts, and I can'ts. 
But Jesus can. Jesus can make it so. I found myself beside a pool of water surrounded by the future of society. The scent of their rotting near the north end of the Christian camp produced a foul smell for the girls' cabins when the breeze shifted. As if Axe body spray could mask the pungent reek of junior hires under the influence of Sour Patch Kids, Monster Energy Drinks, and Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Aside from switching interchangeably roles from youth pastor to mom to dad to power tripping cop because things like, it's lights out Chandler, that's the last time I'm telling you. I was having a good time. Aside from second round elimination in the belly flop contest and excessive bruising from paintballing, I was, I was having a good time. Aside from three quarters of the camp being locked on quarantine, locked down, because uh, apparently there was something fishy in the eggs, I, I was having a good time. It was like the stars shone brighter, like the, the trees stood taller, and being able to see God producing some earth-shattering work in the lives of junior high students, 11 to 14-year-olds, I was having a good time. So much so I was able to see how God was producing some earth-shattering work in me. I was having a good time even when we had to stop nearly every hour on the hour to empty barf bags on the eight-hour trip home. I was having a good time. And I remember the next day was Sunday and I was leading worship at church and I was pumped. I was pumped. Camp high, they call it. I mean, I had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. But it didn't take long for the camp high to fade. I was having a good time until, well, it was done. By Sunday afternoon, the excitement of seeing God produce some earth-shattering work, it was done. And it wasn't that I was back into the world. I, I was back into the church was back into the church where I think we had just accepted being lame and paralyzed and stuck being spiritually sick, where the status quo was better than breakthrough and the rhythm of routine was better than rejoicing. It was a, a lackluster, lukewarm living for Jesus, a Jesus who asked a man so many years before, would you like to get well? But it's like, church, now you are made well. Jesus is saying, I have made you so. So taste and see that the Lord is good and live it. For when what was lost is finally found, when what is broken is finally fixed, it's right to rejoice. It's actually quite simple. Now you are well. So live like it's the truest thing about you. Because it actually, it actually is. So the question is, would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? May you come to see 
that the next 38 years or months or days or minutes don't have to be spent sin-sick beside the Kit-Kat bar-shaped pools of our struggles, our sin and self-loathing. That though we may be stuck in patterns of destruction and turmoil and racism, though we may be paralyzed by animosity and, and apathy, though we may be immobile and unable to humanly produce solutions to solve our greatest struggles, Jesus can. And in Him and in Him alone can we be made whole and complete. And I think that's something worth rejoicing. I think that's something worth living for. So God, I just ask that we would recalibrate our lives to be focused on you. That Jesus, we would learn to live out your truth and your righteousness and what it means to be whole and complete, that it would take root in our lives so much so that it would, it would flow out into the homes, into the workplaces, into the schools that we that we tread. I pray, God, you would give us new eyes, clear eyes to see beyond the suffering, but also the, the tools to do something about those things. I pray, God, for people who want to experience you for the first time, that they invite you in and say, Jesus, would you come in? I want to experience you. I want to experience your earth-shattering work. I believe you died on the cross. And you rose from the grave because you have that power, because you are almighty and you are God. You came not to be served, but to serve. And you gave your life as a ransom for many. So come in, change me, show me how to live, and may I walk with you all the days of my life. Help us, Lord, to be your people who don't just sit by pools for 38 years and complain, but people who are made alive and new in you. In Jesus' name.